0: Welcome to the very first podcast in the screenplay rewind segment of our lives Ron how are you doing I'm doing good I, I consider it a segment of our lives cuz it's it's a very special thing when we subject the audience to these things on a biweekly basis but uh here
1: we are Yeah here we are doing uh what we do I don't want to say do best but what we do Yeah that that would reflect quality <laughs> right
0: in some capacity, and that just is not going to happen. But uh, yeah, so if you checked out episode zero, basically uh, Ron and I did like a little introduction to ourselves, our background, and kind of what the gist of the podcast would be. But if this is your first time joining us, pretty much what we intend to do with Screenplay Rewind is to every couple of weeks kind of do a freeform deep dive is how we've described it into a particular movie. And our first movie to kick off the podcast is going to be John Carpenter's The Thing.
1: The Thing
0: is you you're goddamn right, it's gonna be the thing we were talking about in the episode zero. Maybe my favorite movie of all time. Like it's hard to judge because there's like four or five movies that are just like you
1: know right there where you, like you said in the episode zero. You know, it's, it's not like my favorite episode. movie of all time, but <clears throat> it is. It's it's up there. It's pretty damn good.
0: It's my fa It's for sure
1: my favorite horror movie of all time. I could say that much. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, if I was John going to thing. <laughs> If I was going horror, uh, it's probably, it's definitely in top five. Probably top two. But it's not top one. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's
0: the only thing that that gets close to it, horror movie wise, is Alien,
1: which is my top one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, You know, your number one is my my number two. You know, there's just right. It's like one A and one B. It's like picking kids. But yeah, uh, John Carpenter's a thing uh, written by Bill Lancaster and John W. Campbell Jr. Basically, what we're going to do is just kind of give like a brief overview of the plot. And then we're going to dive deeper into specific elements we want to discuss. And then uh, we're intending to kind of discuss our thoughts on the film and different elements of it. And then kind of wrap up towards the end of the podcast with, you know, behind the scenes trivia, some, uh, you know, casting decisions that almost were and just kind of behind the scenes tidbits. So, uh, first and foremost, uh, we are going to go into full detail with every movie we discuss in the podcast. So, if you have not seen Don Carpenter's The Thing,
1: Spoilers. Please, please, pause.
0: <laughs> please pause and go watch it because it is one of the best horror movies ever made
1: this is part of the reason why we're doing every other week with this show because we're going to give you time to find the movie and to watch the movie before you join us because we there we're not holding back there's going to be nothing but spoilers the whole time so just a basic little plot synopsis of
0: john carpenter's thing so the film starts out with a uh like a flying saucer on the edge of the Earth's atmosphere, it kind of starts to crash towards the surface, and then it cuts to kind of uh, sensibly, you know, modern-day movie takes place uh, back in the 80s when the movie was filmed at an Antarctic base right outside of the kind of Arctic landscape where you see this dog being chased by, you know, the guys in the helicopter, and you're just like, you know, what the fuck's going on? They're going after the dog, you know, trying to snipe. They're doing everything they can to kill this dog. And the first time you're watching the movie, you're just kind of like, what the fuck Dude, is what happening?
1: What the hell is going
0: on? And it's like the cutest dog, you know? It's like this like kind of husky... Yeah. It, yeah, it's just... It's, they're dropping
1: just like, grenades. They're, yeah. they're going, you know, they got a full-on sniper rifle, and I get he's in a helicopter, but man, that guy's a bad shot. Yeah, for, or maybe like land the helicopter and aim a little bit. Of it's a just a dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, so you're following this kind of chase as they go up towards a North American, uh, it's like a science research facility. Yes. And they're, you know, having the same kind of reaction. The audience is like, what the fuck is happening? Cause you know, like they're hearing all these gunshots go off. The dog kind of runs, runs up towards their
1: camp. And in true American fashion, they all just kind of gather around and stand there and drink booze and watch what's happening. <laughs> They yeah. don't even really talk or look around. They're just like, huh. And then, you know, another drink of whiskey. Exactly. It's <laughs> oh, so, great. So
0: the dog des- uh, descends upon the facility. They kind of go out to see what's going on. Uh, in an attempt to throw another grenade at the dog, one of the people who were chasing it in the helicopter drops a grenade near their helicopter, blows up the helicopter. Which is why which-
1: you always take your mittens off before you pull the pin on a grenade. Because mittens are slippery, man. Yeah, bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good. It may be minus forty outside, but do you want to blow up your own helicopter? Do you want to be that guy? Yeah, don't be that guy. Don't be. Don't don't be blowing up the helicopter grenade, man.
0: So the one guy dies with the explosion next to the helicopter that gets destroyed, and the other uh, guy who's been chasing the the dog runs up towards the American scientists and other people stationed at the facility. And continues shooting at it, and actually injures one of the people at the facility, and then is, uh, as a result, then shot by the, the 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 kind of the chief who's in charge of the facility. Yes, the uh, guy that's Gary. in
1: charge of the uh, the station, which I would believe was is that Gary? Yes, it's Gary. That's Gary, played by Donald Moffat. Um, yeah, uh, that is a hell of a shot out of window with a pistol. By the way, uh, yeah, he, he shoots the guy the through his eye on his goggles.
0: Yeah, it's a good fucking shot. Uh, guys had a lot of time target uh, practice. They should have tossed know, him the rifle to shoot
1: the dog. If only they spoke English. Yeah, <laughs> and then the movie is fucking over.
0: You know, like all yeah, it's all you had to do, bro.
1: Right, that's all it's you all had to you, do. All you had to do. Uh, so with uh, with
0: with that point, they're still just kind of like you know in shock over what's occurred, and the dog then uh, just kind of basically chills
1: out at their camp only to well in in true human fashion you know they're just like man just a fucking dog man come here dog and then they they take the dog inside right yeah they they think they've got nuts they
0: yeah they, they they think uh and uh you know contributing to the confusion is the the people that were chasing the dog can only speak uh well they're from uh their norwegian base I don't know exactly what language you're speaking, but it's not English. They have no, they can't, like, if they only could have been bilingual,
1: maybe right? they it could
0: have been a lot faster. <laughs> what, what, why can't you speak American? Um yeah, speak America, and then the <laughs> fucking murder dog, you know, doesn't kill everybody. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
1: Um, I didn't think to even look it up until now, but I want to say that I've heard before on another podcast, if you translate what he's saying, like, he's warning them about the dog. Oh, yeah. When they yeah, shoot him. I, like, yeah, we'll get
0: into we'll get into more conversation about that later in the show. Uh but
1: they're they But the other odd thing here is they bring the dog in and they go put out the helicopter, mm-hmm. right? And the odd thing about the helicopter is the helicopter is full of kerosene. Um they have just jerry can after jerry can of yeah. kerosene. And it's just like, well, what the hell <laughs> they got grenades they got guns and they got kerosene and they're chasing a dog around the arctic so they have this dog you know just kind of chilling out
0: around camp and then as the movie progresses, you start to realize that the you know the dog is essentially this kind of mutant alien that can you know morph itself to into whatever it wants to assimilate and kind of that becomes really apparent in the kennel yeah so, you know, the, the dog has been the thing, that, and the thing has kind of been infiltrated the camp at this point because they just kind of let the dog roam about, and you can kind of see where it goes from there. So uh, the very first thing we need to talk about is the most important character to discuss and introduce properly is Kurt Russell as R.J. McCready.
1: The helicopter pilot.
0: <clears throat> yes. So McCready is one of my absolute favorite protagonists because he is, to a T, pragmatic. Like when you he he is that that kind of it's a good way to describe him. He is, I like if you take all of his actions throughout the film and just this matter of thinking, he is that kind of audience stand in for people who are typically watching bad horror movies and they're like, You're an idiot. Why didn't you do this? Yeah, he is
1: the exact opposite of every protagonist in a horror movie. He's he's like the exact opposite of that insurance commercial. We're like, come on, we, we gotta hide and run in the barn full of chainsaws. But there's a running exactly. car over there. No, 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 no. The barn. <laughs> like, exactly. And, he's and the that, exact opposite.
0: Of he's that. so pragmatic and just tactical in everything he does. Plus, I like and, his hat.
1: Yeah, great I, hat. It's I want like you to get like me a, that hat for Christmas. I, I
0: you, you don't. I, maybe I already did. You know, you, you maybe know. Maybe, did. maybe it's my Halloween costume first. You know, you don't know.
1: You know I can grow a badass beard. It takes you a year to grow
0: that, apparently. Yeah. so uh, I, I looked it up earlier. It's like a four-corner military hat because I was curious, like, where the <laughs> fuck did they get that hat from? Oh, so you do like the hat. Uh, like I didn't that. even look up the hat. I was just curious because it's such a specific fucking hat. Like, the first time you look at it, you're like, is that a sombrero? (laughs) Because if you look at it from certain angles, it looks like a fucking sombrero. At the beginning
1: of this movie, he is not to be seen without this hat. It's either on his head or on his back. Exactly. Yeah. So if, If you've never seen the movie before and you're listening to us, the reason we're talking about his hat is you need to Google it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah Go, google kurt russell the thing hat and you will find it uh, also just 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 a tidbit when i was googling it earlier is because i was trying to figure out what kind of hat design it is because it's so specific right they sell replicas of it online for i shit you
1: not up to seven hundred dollars oh I'm like, my god what? is it made from leather taken directly from kurt russell's ass I think it should have a fucking shape-shifting alien for $700 included. (laughs) Are they just carving pieces of the thing off and fashioning them into hats? (laughs) Because if you wanted to assimilate me, Jeff, you hand me a thing hat. (laughs) So the very first time they introduce McCready's character
0: is one of my favorite little subtle bits of character development ever. And you are introduced to him as he is playing... On oh. a little computer chess game, right? <laughs> so he's playing against the computer because there's just fuck all to do with this, you know, Arctic base in 1980. And, and yeah, it's yeah. late so 1982 when
1: the movie came out. Is that when it's set? Pl- by the way,
0: it is set in the 80s. I'm pretty sure. Okay.
1: Uh,
0: they never specify it. So when they don't specify it, I just consider it, you know, to kind of take place everything the around era. them is very 80s. Yes. A lot of their TV shows and stuff that they're watching in their fashion is very 80s. So it's, it's, it doesn't appear to be a throwback. Um, I think, I think if he was actually making it like a 50s throwback, there would have been actual tropes for to make it a 50s throwback, you know, because, because it's a, it's a loose remake of the, uh, the thing from the 50s. uh, Yes. Very, very loosely. Um, It's like, honestly, the closest thing that it takes from it is the, the design of the title card. That's we would know of...
1: if they're aiming for something like that because everything in this movie is deliberate, make no mistake.
0: Yes. Uh, uh, we will get into more uh, specifics later on in the show uh, on just how much attention to detail went into this film. It's, it, it was a passion project for literally everyone involved. It shows. Yeah. It really but shows. The, so, this, so the scene with MacReady, when he's playing the kind of computer chess game, he loses the chess game, And, you know, the archaic 80s computers, you know, like, checkmate, checkmate, checkmate. He opens up part of the computer and dumps his glass of whiskey into it, destroying the computer. (laughs) And And now no one gets
1: to play chess. And now
0: nobody gets to play the chess game. What the fuck, Kurt Russell? (laughs) So, Uh. at first glance, the first time you watch this movie, you might even forget about this scene because it's, you know, it's just kind of like a funny way to introduce the character. But this is a genius way to introduce his character because this reaction to him losing this chess match informs his character throughout the entirety of the movie because his character revolves around he might not be able to win but he will make damn sure that you lose too if he can't right and the movie just turns out to be this you know back and forth kind of chess match with him trying to outsmart and and, you know uh figure out who's the thing who all is infected who can he trusts and you know just kind of trying to outsmart this this alien that is so perfect at mimicking people that it starts to take over, you know, different characters. Mm -hmm. And I just fucking like, I think the only character development moment I like better and is more clever and uh, subtle than that McCready introduction is the scene in John Wick, you know, where he's like, I heard you struck my son. May I ask why? He's like, yeah, your son uh, (laughs) stole John Wick's car and uh, killed his dog. Oh, oh,
1: (laughs) right. Probably.
0: that's probably the only character like subtle moment of indirect character development, you know, that I that I like better. But
1: fuck, it's so good. A close third to that, by the way, and I, I know this is a little off topic, but a close third to that is, or I guess that's one A and one B. So I guess number two to that would be the second John Wick movie when he's like. You know when he one time killed someone with a pencil? Yes, I heard a pencil. A fucking pencil. A Fucking
0: pencil. It's a Peter Stormare. <laughs> I fucking love Peter Stormare.
1: Uh sorry, that was what a fucking Anytime anyone fucking mentions John pencil. Wick, a fucking pencil is what pops into fucking my head. Pencil. Yeah. I fucking love it.
0: So uh as we're talking about how the movie kind of just progresses, uh as you know, they're trying to figure out uh, you know, who's the thing, it becomes this kind of back-and-forth kind of uh, exploration on paranoia and claustrophobia. And uh, one just uh, quick comment I'd like to mention, too, is this movie, even though I didn't know it the first time I watched it a few years back when I was younger because I hadn't really delved into aspects of the writer, but this movie is very H.P. Lovecraft Yes, in its themes.
1: Uh, that's one thing I was going to touch on later. Uh, it is... Probably one of the best movie adaptations of anything Lovecraft without being anything directly from Lovecraft. Yeah. The, the way that they treat the thing is very Lovecraftian. Yes. um, and, I, I was going to get and, into more and, on that when we talk about special effects later.
0: Yeah. Thematically, with the effects, um, the, the Lovecraft story that it most closely relates to is At the Mountains of Madness, which is yes. uh, a, a story that similarly... Uh, It takes place, you know, with scientists that are kind of overstepping their bounds in the Antarctic, you know, they kind of discover something that they really were better off never discovering. And that's kind of the main theme of all of Lovecraft's work is, you know, ignorance is bliss if you go if you go too far into the direction, you know.
1: Exactly. Um, The other thing I wanted to touch on is you mentioned claustrophobia. This movie is in the middle of an Arctic tundra. There should be nothing claustrophobic happening at all, but this movie is very claustrophobic because at, at one point, you know, you, you and the one way of looking at it is you're out in the open and all that stuff, but when you talk, start talking about psychologically, you feel like the walls are closing in yeah. because the the way this thing spreads, when we get into figuring that out here in a minute, it literally means that it can be anybody, including MacReady. Like, there's yes. no reason to not suspect anyone or everyone.
0: Yes. Uh, the movie
1: also uh, makes very specific
0: decisions to, uh, like you said, include MacReady as a as a suspect who could be the thing uh, because another popular aspect of Lovecraft's works that also influenced a lot of John Carpenter's films is the idea of, like, the non-reliable narrator. Yes. You know... You start to think about if so. If the concept of the thing is it's this organism that can perfectly imitate a human, who's to say it couldn't imitate it to the point that it forgets what it is? You right. don't know. You never understand the full confines of like its, of its expanse of the way that it you know controls itself. You know, it's like maybe McCready is you know maybe McCready is the thing, and he's the the organism is just so
1: good at it. It's so good at pretending it almost like trick itself. You know. You and again, know. I'm probably getting a little bit ahead here, but. I think they only mentioned this like once in the movie. The time span on this movie is about like four or five days week tops, right? Yes. Um, At
0: one point about halfway through the movie, uh, McCready mentions he's been awake for two straight days. Yes. So it probably takes place over the course of about, I would say, like four days. I I would say it's probably like another couple days after that. I want
1: to say there's something with the radio operator or maybe it was the chemist that was trying to figure out a test. Somebody, somewhere I thought I heard, like they were in day four. This is Mm -hmm. day four of not knowing who is the thing or how many people are infected. Yeah. Uh, So So imagine, in the middle (laughs) of the Arctic tundra, you're you're isolated via radio. There's a storm coming. You can't fly because there's a storm coming. You're just going to crash. It's radio blackout, and you're just cut off.
0: And they have mentioned uh even before the shit starts going down with the thing, uh, Windows, who's the character who operates their radio and is kind of like their communications specialist, is he's been, you know, he's been at it trying to just contact the other Antarctic base for like a week. Even leading up to the movie, he hasn't yeah. been able to get through because there's interference from the storms and everything. Um, so let's take a second to kind of introduce some other uh supporting characters. Um uh, I think you might actually have like, do you have a list up with the actors
1: along with it? Um, I do. Um, We've already mentioned uh, RJ McCready is Kurt Russell. Uh, Wilford Brimley was relatively unknown. He's playing Dr. Blair. I hope I'm half as cool as Knowles when I grow up, by the way. Yeah, Knowles is pretty sweet. The <laughs> fucking
0: uh, rollerblading cook.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's got an excellent, excellent choice of music also. Yes, yeah. Which, by the way, very superstitious. Really? That's the song that is playing when all of this starts that he's listening to in the yeah. uh in the kitchen. Yeah. It that was nothing genius. Is, that stood out to me.
0: Nothing is ever an accident in a John Carpenter movie. He he is so meticulous.
1: Um, uh, everything again is so deliberate in this movie. It's insane. Uh Keith David, this is basically his screen debut as child. Um, he was a uh stage actor and apparently, oh, okay. from what I understand, was having issues, not like full on displaying emotions like um like very flamboyantly displaying emotions like you would on a stage. They'd have to keep dialing him back. Gotcha. Um but the one that I was happy to see, just because I like this guy. He's always just like um a character actor kind of on the B team, but he's in the background. He always kind of stands out whatever scene he's in is Charles Hallahan. I forgot he's in this. And which character does he play? He's Norris. Okay. It think Spider Head. That's Charles Hallahan. Gotcha. Um Gaping Norris. Um <laughs> <laughs> he, That's a Dark Souls joke for anyone listening. Um, I understood that reference. In um, Dante's Peak, which is another one of those movies people make fun of now, but it's actually a really good movie. I actually really enjoy that movie. I forgot he was
0: in that, but yeah, I remember that now. He's
1: Pierce Brosnan's boss and he dies, spoilers I guess, on the bridge to the fucking Wilhelm Scream. (laughs) Ron's favorite movie tidbit in film history. damn it. Stop using the Wilhelm Scream. Um, But yeah, that's, the other notable names that I recognize, I want to say Donald Moffat was a big thing like in seventies and eighties. But uh that's the that's the names I recognized uh the easiest. Yeah.
0: And the outside of Kurt Russell oh, and
1: he's he's Gary, by the way. Donald Moffat. I didn't say who he was playing.
0: Yes. Uh Gary, the kind of commander of the institute. He
1: he looks like do you know what he looked like to me? It took me a while to think of who he was reminding me of, and um, I'm blanking on the character's name. But the main guy in Jaws, the sheriff. Oh, um, Brody. Brody. He reminds. Yeah. He really invokes Brody. See, like the thing about it though,
0: is his kind of his his presence in the movie would make you think that. But what's interesting is even before later on in the film when they kind of nominate McCready as the kind of leader of the the group of people just because uh, Gary found himself in a compromising position where he basically could have been the thing because of the blood that gets damaged before they're about to do a test right and they kind of them even before McCready is named at that point the kind of leader of the group, if you watch throughout the movie, anytime something uh, uh anytime shit hits the fan and they're in like an urgent situation, all of the characters go to McCready. They do. McCready
1: is kind of like the the leader of the group, even without being the commander, that was one very slight nitpick that I had with the movie, because there's a moment that you, that you mentioned when he gave control, he gave command to McCready and he's like, I'm no longer fit to be in command. So you'd want to like follow, um, someone else. I'm like, you're in command. I had no idea yeah. he was in command until he said that because every time something happens, all eyes go to MacReady and everybody does what he says. And then MacReady is just like, yeah, I guess I have a choice. I'm taking it over. And he takes the gun. Because the thing
0: is, is I think the reason uh, that that is in the script is because they're they're just trying to show, you know, like it, it it's almost it's not really like a trope in the the horror genre as much. But you see that a lot in kind of you know, like disaster films. Like the person in charge usually is kind of a kind of a shit, like a shithead. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah, they're not. They're not really like capable of, of taking control of the situation. And you can kind of see how think aliens. How right? Gary, he's not. <laughs> he's not in like he's not you know incapable of leading. It's just that's just not his personality. And when when shit hits the fan, you know, I think they're just kind of insinuating that, and it's kind of like a real life situation. You know, like the, the, a person with a more pragmatic and just kind of straightforward personality would end up being the leader. You know, it's it's not it's not like rank gets thrown out the window in that type of do situation. we know what kind of expedition they are? Doing I don't believe they ever have any kind of background information
1: on, on because what they've they got they a research. lot of guns, Jeff. They've got a yeah. lot of guns. I, the note that I have is why you got a gun in Antarctica, man like it yeah because i mean it kind of it kind of makes sense because
0: uh you know there is a little bit of you know like potential like wildlife concern i could see uh it kind of depends on just how many like expeditions they'd be doing yeah because the guns they have is they have pistols and they have there's a handful of like shotguns that are in yeah the, that's what i was gonna the, say windows
1: that, uh runs to a gun case and smashes it and starts pulling out a shotgun this is when once they pacify him, they get him calmed down, is when Gary gives up command. But, like I said, the first thing that popped in my head is, why you got a gun in space? Because I was just like, we're in the Antarctic, which, you know, when I was growing up, they taught nothing could live in the Antarctic, and later, it's like, oh no, there are some penguins, but like, polar bears are North Pole. So, yeah, why so many guns <laughs> in the Antarctic? Yeah they get raided by penguin mobs?
0: It, it could also just speak maybe to like the, um, the period the of time, you know, being like an, being an 80s Cold War thing. Yeah, You know, it's, it's, a, it's a government funded facility. I could see because like the thing. So like I would find it ridiculous if they had like M16s and AK-47s right. and actual like assault rifles. All they really have are a couple of pistols and a single case of about five or six shotguns. That checks
1: out to me. I think being a government ran facility, even for- the, the type of guns check out for me, but they had a whole case with just shotguns lined up. And I was like, that seems weird. I could see yeah. a shotgun and a couple of pistols. But they had if you look at that gun case, he smashes. It's like six shotguns. Yeah. I, I think if
0: the story was taking place in modern time today, I think you probably would see, you know list but i i think it ties into being cold war era uh personally
1: but yeah it it could be i hadn't thought about cold war era Uh, i wasn't thinking 1982 so but yeah it could be
0: um so with the uh the kind of cast uh being the way it is also
1: i wanted to point out that gary has like a gun belt with a holster on it Mm -hmm. and he is the only military looking man Everyone else is just kind of like in blue jeans and stuff like they don't really act military and they don't use like call signs they don't talk like military they don't talk on the radio yeah. like military. There's institute.
0: They're, they're not they're not like a military base. They're there. it's yeah like right.
1: But Gary is in that stereotypical like army brown yeah. jumpsuit and actually wears his pistol on his hip.
0: Yeah. Anyway, sorry. So uh, the the first uh kind of. Instance of the the thing transforming actually within the camp happens once uh, once the dog is finally uh, put into the kennel along with the other uh, huskies they have I think they're huskies that they have so uh just real just real quick like the I don't know if it was a single person or like a group of people. Whoever was in charge of handling the dog who is the thing did a masterful job. And John Carpenter and the editor did a masterful job picking the scenes that are included in the movie because it's just a dog. But goddamn, just like the looks that it gives sometimes, the way they linger on the dog, it makes it seem just so preternatural. There is
1: a moment. I think we've jumped past it in the timeline of the movie. But there's a moment when they're coming back from the Norwegian station that the dog is looking out the window staring at them as they're coming back from the helicopter. Do you remember that shot? That that is chilling. Because it is just a dog, and and you don't really suspect it. It's just a fucking dog, and you don't suspect it. It's just a dog. And, you know, it cuts to them at a distance. You can hardly hear what they're saying. You can just hear that they are talking. They're coming back. They're talking, and then it just cuts to this damn dog looking out the window, but with its head kind of lowered. Like, it's not like its head is up, and it's like, ooh, people. Like, its head is kind of lowered, its mouth is closed, and it's, like, on alert, watching them Mm -hmm. out the window. And they make it very clear that he is watching them come back uh, from the Norwegian station. And before, is it Clark? Um, that's in charge, which I forgot to mention, uh, Clark, Richard, Masseur. I He's another character actor. He's one of those guys you never know his name, but he pops up in a lot of 80s stuff, I want to say. Yes. Um, yeah, Clark is in charge of the dogs. Clark is in charge of the dogs, and they're in the rec room, and the dog brushes up against a dude. Now, that is chilling and important with the way the thing spreads. Because it's basically mm-hmm. contact to get infected, and the dog brushes up against the dude and then yells at Clark to put the damn dog with the rest of the dogs, and then he takes him, sticks him in the kennel, and then we're back to um, to to where we were just talking with the way the dog acts mm-hmm. in the kennel, which is also very, very chilling, because this is the yeah. first moment that you're like, this is not a dog. <laughs>
0: So the when Clark is walking the thing dog back towards the
1: kennel, he opens the kennel. Okay, I'm and sorry. The thing One thing you just said, thing dog, and it reminded me that no matter where you read anything, it refers to the thing by character name hyphen thing,
0: capitalized.
1: Yeah. So it'd be like, um, uh, I'm I'm like Windows. It'd be like Windows thing. Coop, yeah, Cooper thing. <laughs> yeah, Windows. So yeah, yeah, yeah. the dog thing. <laughs>
0: and i also love too just a tidbit i noticed if you watch the the movie with subtitles on when they reference the thing the thing is always capitalized i just like oh they're, nice there's subtitling i was like i saw that yes earlier today when i was watching it and that made me happy i was just like yes <laughs> you get you get me guys you get me so when the dog is introduced to the other dogs and just kind of like walks into the kennel all the other dogs are you know just kind of napping like lounging about laying on their sides and the thing dog just walks in and kind of sits, uh, slightly perched up, staring at the wall of the back of the kennel at and nothing. doesn't move. And it and doesn't move an inch. And it's just a fucking dog sitting down. But the editing and the dog handling and the camera is all angle so well.
1: The cinematography on it's that just, even.
0: Yes, it's everything is is so meticulously done and perfect.
1: Like you've seen that, moments where, like, the dog looking out the window watching them come back. That you're like, something is off about this dog. But again, like I said, this is the first time that you're just like, that ain't no dog. And
0: another thing that reinforces the the scenes with the the dog is uh, the soundtrack. Uh, yes, they they have they kick in a little bit of that John Carpenter-esque. You know, uh, that was one thing I wanted to
1: comment on is it is very alien the way they treat music in this because most of the time it's just environmental sound effects there's very little music except for key moments throughout the whole thing
0: yeah, which is very john carpenter that's that's a that's an essence of all of his movies a lot of his movies i i I don't believe he did the music for the thing, but a lot of his movies have this but he definitely influence the composer if he didn't actually make the music because it's a very john carpenter theme he usually does these very synthetic subtle themes that
1: see happen. i thought that he did uh do the music just based on listening to it yeah uh i because I, uh, it it really sounded like it's a, it's a, like something yeah he it did. sounds
0: it like very very much sounds like something he do but i think it was um it was it was a different uh, lc music by uh it, Ennio Morricone. I don't know if I'm uh, mispronouncing his I'm name, but he's sure the you composer <laughs> for Uh, pretty sure I am too, but he did the music, and it's a fa- it's a it's a gr- it's a fantastic theme because it never overstays its welcome. It's always there with meaning, and the, it just kind of in. Uh, it's not there to you draw would,
1: your attention. It just kind of moves into the background.
0: Yes, because if it was you know over present, it would start to kind of chip away at the the claustrophobia and, you know, just cause like just the ambient noise of like the winter storms outside is, yes. is omnipresent in the, in the mix for the, the sound design. It just, it was so Do good. you
1: think, but, do you think just real quick, real quick aside that that is how, well, do you think that is where the Martian got that idea? Cause the Martian did a lot um, of that as well. And I noticed that part felt very, very the Martian and it was Ridley Scott, and I know he does a lot of that in Alien, also. But it just it feels like a lot of the John Carpenter Ridley Scott stuff like work off of each other a lot. It's yeah, just like they, they keep borrowing from each other all the time. And some of those shots, even in The Martian, reminds me of this compound out in the snow with the storm yeah. going.
0: Uh, yeah, very much so. Uh, they've always been, uh, and it's it's one reason why I, I like both of their films so much. They're two my favorite, absolute favorite directors. Is if not my favorite two directors is, they there there's there's a very
1: there's a commonality, similar alley.
0: theme and, and style that they bring to their their movies, and just how fucking lean most of their movies are. Like they do not fuck around. Like, the thing is about an hour and fifty minutes. I think it's it's I think it's like an hour and forty seven once the the credits start. And it's a like it feels faster than that. This movie goes even when you've seen it multiple times, like I have. It's just paced so well, and it just it had no holds barred, just all throughout the plot. It and doesn't that feel about. like it's,
1: it's just, being rushed, but it moves. Yeah, it's always it, moving. It's, it's,
0: it's deliberate, but not slow. It, it's, it's kind it's,
1: of subtle too, the way they do. Um where they advance forward in time because the something will happen and it'll be kind of like weird or like uh like looming and then it just kind of fades out to black and cuts to another shot of the compound outside or them in the rec room or something. And it's like okay, that was the end of that day. Now, you know, dawn of the third day or whatever. Yeah. Um But it's it's not done like I always feel like like whenever you talk about a transition like that, people immediately jump to Star Wars with the way they do the transitions and stuff. Um, those fades don't really stand out. It's a real subconscious thing, just in your brain clicks, oh, we're moving to the next day now. <laughs> yeah. Uh it's really subtle. It's really well done.
0: And it uh the the editing too kind of influences uh the the kind of the character uh type of you know, they're all starting to lose their shit not just because they're having to deal with this thing but just lack of sleep mm-hmm. even if you're not encountering you know like a fucking alien shapeshifter if you've been awake for three straight days pretty much you're gonna start to lose your shit and you know get at each other's throats just because of you know, human nature so when you add that in you know like the the editing is very subdued i think to kind of blend time just like time would be blending for the people in the situation itself it's, it's it's all really well done yeah uh, so let's talk about uh, the special effects. Oh so the my first time God. you get to really be introduced to these special effects is in this this uh, kennel scene,
1: because the, the dog... It, uh, it really makes me wonder what some of the stuff in Bloodborne must have smelled oh like. But <laughs> like the one reborn?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you, you would have like yeah. 12 deaths. A- Just, anything you hargle. You would have 12 deaths. If it was a natural situation, just on smelling some of the monsters and stuff, in oh form, my god, it'd be brutal, or at least I would, I would just die immediately just because of the smell, let alone the you know, vicious combat included. But uh, the, the movie is probably most notoriously well known for its use of practical effects, uh, and it's shown fucking spectacularly in the scene because the fucking dog once Clark has left the kennel turned the lights out and it's just the thing with the other uh, with the dogs it's fucking face splits open in four different directions almost like it's, it reminds me of
1: the, the Demogorgon yes. design from
0: Stranger Things how it just kind of peels it, was, like a fucking it opens orange. up like
1: the Demogorgon from Stranger Things like he said and the fucking dog's skull is in the mouth and it just drops the skull And it's like, I know it's a
0: movie, and I know that it's, like, all practical, but you just watch some of the shit that moves in this movie, and I can't help but think every time I watch it, how the fuck do they make this movie? Because
1: shit does that sound, too. Yeah, the the sound design, uh, how just fucking... It it makes that, like, uh, like locust slash, like, cicada noise. Yeah. Um, And that also... Reminds me a bit of like moments in Alien, you hear a sound effect kind of like that. There's something about that sound that when you, especially when you alter the frequency of it, because this is like a deeper version of that sound that like a cicada makes. Yeah. And it's like slowed down or something a little bit with all these fucking wiry tentacles going every which direction, just impaling dogs. It's fucking nuts. The just like the the, the tendrils,
0: I like because like you start to, you can kind of f- think about how they would have approached certain elements of it, but like there's sometimes just dozens of individual tendrils moving on these special effects, and it's just like I don't know how they did it to have
1: every single nothing piece. looks like stop motion, nothing looks like claymation, nothing or even really looks like a puppet. I don't know how they it's, did this. It's Jeff. nuts
0: because like later on in the movie they start to figure out that the thing every single cell is basically its own individual piece of the organism like every individual cell has survival instincts and that comes through with the special effects because every fucking piece of the effects have life behind them you know they're very animated
1: yeah it's very oh my god the way that thing i guess no pun intended the way everything just kind of shoots out like everything this transformation is very slow right and they're giving you a really good look at this thing better look than you really want <laughs> looking at it yeah and then these ten- tendrils but you can't turn away you can't turn away you're just mesmerized by the gr- like, it's
0: just it's like grotesquely gorgeous so you you're just drawn
1: yeah to and these tendrils are going every which direction just kind of like fluttering around and then this they just all of a sudden shoot out in all directions and spear all the dogs a couple of different times. And then those tendrils start forming tendrils that wrap around the dogs.
0: Yeah. And every time they have a different encounter with the thing, every encounter, the thing starts to develop its own specific, like set of attacks or way of movement or, you know, body shape in each scene that it's in. It's never, it just occurred
1: to me where else you hear that cicada sound. Yeah. It's just always, constantly- you hear it in, you hear it in independence day. Oh yeah, yeah. In the lab, when they're doing the autopsy and the alien wakes up, mm-hmm. you you hear that same cicada sound or very similar to it. Because
0: in this instance, you have you know the the dog's skull piercing through like the the peeling of its face. Oh, Later God. on, you have one that's basically like a Venus flytrap. Yep, it's fucking crazy. Oh, and then uh, the upside down spider leg head. Yeah, yeah.
1: Gaping Norris.
0: Yeah, fuck. It's just all all so good.
1: Yeah. Oh my god. So from this point, uh, you know, they, they
0: start to realize what they're dealing with. McCready is essentially, even before he's officially put in charge, he's always kind of, you know, in charge. And the movie, uh, proceeds to just be this kind of, you know, back and forth chess match between McCready and the thing. You know, there's there's only so much you can do when you can't trust anybody. Yeah. He, he, he feels, uh, McCready feels, uh, that he's not the thing, and he knows that everyone else isn't one because they would. More than likely, just all you know, turn he on them. He says
1: as much, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, and they have... Uh, Their they're really only defense against it seems to be burning them. That's the only kind of defense mechanism they have against it's it. It's the
1: only way to be sure, man. Yeah. So, uh, w- the specific element... Uh, Which, by the way, they're using kerosene to do. So now it makes sense. Yeah. You, all the kerosene that was found on the helicopter... Uh, yeah. What the Norwegians were going through, what they were chasing the dog for. Because when we went to the Norwegian base, it was all burned up. They had totally annihilated their base. It was burned to the ground. Um, And it had fled their base in the form of a dog. And they were trying to shoot it. to. You can knock it out temporarily, basically. Because like we said, each individual cell is another life form. But you can... You can take it out and then you have a very short amount of time before it regenerates or comes back to burn it. And that was their plan. They were going to douse it with kerosene and light the fucker on fire. Yep. Blowing it up seems like a really bad idea. They try to do that a lot. If every piece is a little organism, would you really want it to rain across a radius? Right. Everyone seems to reach for the dynamite first. So before the, uh, just real quickly, we're, we're
0: going to start talking about how the thing starts to uh, take over specific members of the cast. So it's a really cool little tidbit that the first time before the dog is actually put to the kennel, you see the dog kind of just walking around the, institute and he's kind of walking through their their little dorms they have where each of the people there have their own room. Some of them, you know, bunk with like a roommate. He's
1: learning, Jeff. (laughs) He's learning.
0: He, uh, the the dog is going down this hallway. You don't see whose room it is. You never get a good look at the person the dog is walking up to, but the person is alone and all you see is their shadow and then react to the dog coming in. And what's really fucking cool is that this, uh, this attention to detail they bring to this movie just in like all aspects is perfect because they specifically did not want to have a shadow that could be recognizable. And they actually use one of the uh, stuntmen. So uh, the stunt coordinator, uh, Dick Warlock, which great fucking name, Dick Warlock. <laughs> That's like a fucking uh, film noir <laughs> series detective stories I watch, Dick Warlock
1: private eye or a Mel Brooks character that's you
0: yeah I'd watch that as well but uh he's, <laughs> so they use the scent coordinator uh to throw everyone off uh the scent uh you know just kind of figuring out you know who's the first person that could have been turned uh the uh one of the cinematographers uh for the movie talks about how the first person that they use before they realize their shadows would be too distinguishable is uh Palmer who's the mechanic the dude with the, the stringy black hair he's kind of uh, pretty much always just seen, you know, just kind of chilling, smoking weed.
1: He's smoking weed and has a Walkman all the time. Yeah.
0: So, uh, one detail I noticed on this viewing today is once they have set the dog thing in the kennel on fire, when they really quickly go to put it out, the first person you see run in to kind of initiate them, in my opinion, putting out the fire too soon. I would let the fucker burn for you know like oh, a couple yeah. of hours.
1: <laughs> Oh, yeah.
0: It's it's Palmer. And I love that detail because that can't be an accident. Right. But it was originally shown to be Palmer who was the first person to be turned. And the the one of the people who's the first to kind of go in and initiate them dousing the flames out is Palmer. And I fucking love that. The movie continues. Uh, it's just kind of, you know, back and forth. Them, you know, co- consistently getting more and more paranoid. They They don't really have a way yet to figure out, you know, who's still human, who's the thing. And all throughout this, one character specifically who just starts to lose their shit and you can't really blame them is Blair, uh, Wilford yes. Brimley's character. And Wilfred Brimley over time essentially, unfortunately, kind of became a meme. You know, he's... Diabetes. Diabetes is the first thing anyone says to think about <laughs> Wilford Brimley, but I think he's really good in this movie.
1: I Wilford think Brimley is an excellent actor, or he so, was.
0: He's so underrated because you see him in uh, the scene where they show him, you know, kind of, start to destroy uh the you know pieces of the helicopter destroy they destroys one of their kind of sn- snowplow type uh you know machines where they could actually you know potentially get away from the the base yeah. because Wilfred rimley is uh their kind of head scientist and he has realized um in the in the scene i love I love 70s and 80s sci-fi where they always have to go to the exposition computer. Yes. Where the computer is this, war- <laughs> where like it happens in Alien with Mother, it happens in the thing, with you know, Brembling on the computer where the, the computer just starts spouting out exposition, you know, like in three years, you know, total, uh, you know, earth assimilation and shit like that, you know, like it makes no sense, but I, I love that trope.
1: And then it, it cuts, my favorite part of that is once it says, it says like in number of hours or whatever, you do the math, it's three years. Um, Mm. or the entire planet will be infected with the thing, and then it just cuts to Wilfred Brimley, who just kind of very subtly shakes his head no, just like uh, and then it cuts away. And I was like, "What?" (laughs) Nineteen Eighties cinema, you? (laughs) Yeah, and it's like it's it's so cheesy, but I love that. Aside from things like that, though, everything in this movie holds up remarkably well. Yeah, it's pretty much timeless. I think part of that is the setting. We don't have mm-hmm. cars. We don't have buildings. We don't have people walking around in fashion. They're out in the Arctic tundra. Everything there is equipment, right? And snowcats and stuff like that. And they're all just wearing the biggest, heaviest fucking jackets they can find. Because they literally say at one point it is minus 40 outside. Yep. Um, so I think part of what lends it to being so timeless Is this not a computer or not a movie about, you know, computer systems and stuff like that? Like I said, we don't have the fashion right in front of us. We don't have the cars. It is just what is essentially a military compound. It's, I don't think it is, but that's essentially what this is. Mm -hmm. And that, I think it really helps it.
0: So, Wilfred Brimley's character, uh, he kind of goes nuts. And I think he just kind of has like this breakdown once he's. Very Lovecraftian,
1: by the way. Because he is the guy with all the information. And And he doesn't tell anyone else. Yes. And in every H.P. Lovecraft story, information is the bad thing. The more information you have, usually the deeper into madness you fall. And he is the one that figures out what's going on before anyone. He's the one that's doing all this side research and not telling anyone about it. And the deeper he dives, the more paranoid he gets. The more like store crazy he gets, he pulls out his gun. He goes. He smashes the radio. He smashes the helicopters. He He, smashes uh, one of the snowcats, right? The long range one or whatever. Yeah.
0: yeah. He he destroys. He destroys that. He destroys the the uh, the chopper. He destroys every method of transportation or communication to the outside. Wilford Brimley destroys. Now imagine
1: he's not telling anyone any of the information that he has. Yeah. So the other characters like the fuck is wrong with him what is happening
0: and, but what's funny is when you realize what's happening and what's at stake he's the most sane person there because everything he does is the, is the smart thing to do yes at that point just based off you know you know common sense numbers and th- like the rest of the world and the human species could potentially end if they go back to civilization with just one of those fucking things being one of the people there they are all at that point you know they were basically dead. They they can no longer go back to civilization. They might as well be dead. They can no. They the the risk is might screwed. as well be dead. They can't leave and they can't call for help. They're they're just fucked. And what's cool too is one of the elements that H.P. Uh, Lovecraft uses a lot in the stories is kind of you experiencing the story after the fact and almost like a first person type of journal yes. from the people experiencing the story because uh, it there. never
1: ends well for the person. That is the main person in the story,
0: (laughs) yeah. And a lot of their background that they that the characters in the movie learn through uh, later on is by reading Wilford Brimley's uh, diaries. Very true. As he was, uh, you know, I didn't even
1: catch that, but you're absolutely right. He uh, is,
0: you know, detailing uh, because they they uh, when Fuchs, the kind of second, uh, he's kind of like a I, I imagine, kind of like the how. Wilford Brimley is, seems to be, like, the, the chief scientist. He's kind of, like, the second, uh, you know, behind him. And, you know, he talks about how, you know, he'll read the rest of his journals. You know, we, we need to figure out everything we can about it. And it, it influences a lot of what they know about it. And it's just so... It's 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 a really kind of, like, heartbreaking thing in that they all just instantly think, Wilfred Brimley's fucking nuts, and he kind of is, but he's not wrong. Right. And you know, McCready's kind of, like, doing everything he can, but you start to kind of realize it's a losing battle no matter what. And the thing with McCready is that it doesn't matter. McCready is just so fucking logical. He never, you know, it, almost any other movie tackling this type of uh narrative uh weight as far as, like, what could happen to the rest of humanity would always have them oh God, I have to get back to my my wife and kid at home. You know, something yes. like that. They would have some type of selfish reason for needing to stay alive and that just doesn't exist in this movie. All the characters, I love that about it. Is it, it. I it, think
1: it, part of that too is we're a scientific research facility, right? Like we're not, I don't want to say civilian, but we're not a lot of... They, these aren't a lot of normal people. These are people that signed up to go to the Arctic for months at a time. Yeah. And they're scientists. They're using rationale, right? They're thinking about the situation. If this thing were to get to New York or Los Angeles or, like, Moscow or something, like, if this thing were to get somewhere, the rate at which it would spread would be literally unstoppable.
0: Yep. I mean yeah, I mean, e- even just what how many people do they have there in total like 12? Yeah, kind of around there and you know and it would be within, exponential. Within you know within 4 days, you know, potentially everyone at that point could have been, you know, turned. It's just crazy just how and, and and they're and they're aware of it for the majority of the time and you know they're actively combating it. If it just got to the mainland with no one being, you know, any of the wiser, it could just, you know, spread almost instantly. And uh they they go and lock up uh Wilford Brimley's character outside in a tool shed. Seems cold. <laughs> and one of the most just kind of like dark what'd you say sorry? That seems cold. <laughs> yeah, like like, <laughs> uh, like when they're they're walking him out to the the tool shed thing and they're like what about your shack? Macready's like I don't want him in my shack. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, just like yeah, I'm, I don't blame you there. But one of the most like just uh uh, while we're talking about uh, Brimley's character, when he when Macready later on in the movie goes out yes. to the shed and he sees him casually eating beans next to the the noose,
1: next to the noose, yes.
0: It's, so all that the scene is like straight up bone chilling, and
1: deep. no one mentions it. It's just there. They just have their conversation with a noose hanging between them, and yeah. again. Very Lovecraftian, because if something terrible doesn't happen to the protagonist in a Lovecraft story, then it's suicide. Mm-hmm. In a Lovecraft story, the main person in the story does not usually survive it. And a lot of times, it's a bullet to the brain, self-inflicted. Um, And here we are, the next time we run into Wilfred Brimley, he's just casually eating food, sitting next to a noose that he's crafted. Yep. And he's the one, again, with all the diaries that they're reading, the one with all the information descending into madness, all that stuff. It is so well done. Yeah. This movie
0: isn't, even though I know everything that happens, every time I rewatch this movie, I am engrossed just like I was the first time watching it because it's just so fucking
1: well-paced and active. And there's and so many every... details to come over, you can't help but notice something different every time. I didn't yeah. remember the noose. I had no memory of the noose. Yeah, because it's just it's just there. And he's I never and... even realized... I never even realized that they're advancing the story forward through Brimley's diaries until you mentioned it right here on this podcast. Yeah. There's something it, new I
0: just realized. It's so every in and, and every scene has like its own flavor of like subtext as far as the way that the characters are reacting there's almost like little uh hidden you know kind of uh subplots that happen in plain sight as once you've watched the movie and you're going back for a rewatch you can start to pick up on specific instances where the 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 people who you know is a thing start to actively uh increase the paranoia. Yeah. Uh, like you you pretty much know uh after you know rewatching it that uh Palmer is one of the things. Palmer is one of the characters instigating a lot of the paranoia and you're like the attention to detail they have uh with the script. I can't imagine how many times they had to do rewrites on it just to get it as perfect as this. Oh my god. It Cuz it's so loaded but it never you never feel the weight of it. It's yeah. just so good. So uh let's talk about probably the most infamous scene from the movie, and that is the blood test scene.
1: The blood test scene. That's probably one of the greatest scenes just in Hollywood.
0: It's so good. Just in cinema. It's so good. So uh, after they uh, have kind of had this little coup against McCready uh, because they find a shredded piece of uh, McCready's clothing outside the of the base kind of out snow and
1: nulls cuts him loose
0: they uh nulls cuts him loose McCready finds his way back inside and kind of it's so badass he <laughs> fucking holds them at gunpoint essentially by holding a fucking bundle of dynamite
1: that is n- never not badass like it's so good the brendan fraser does it in the mummy and it's badass every time i see it
0: i fucking love it dude He's, yeah. like, he's like half frozen to death holding the fucking uh the bundle of dynamite uh, and he's just like, you come at me, we all blow up. And <laughs> because of the greedy, they all know he's telling the truth because he'll fucking do it.
1: He he'll doesn't have to do win, it. but he
0: will make damn sure that you lose. That's just how he operates. That's his character.
1: Um. Oh, and it's, it's worth mentioning mainly because I want to get this quote in there is they had gone to his shack right because uh there's a point where noll says where are we going and macready says up to my shack noll says what the hell for macready goes cuz when i left yesterday i turned the lights off and it cuts to his shack and all the lights are on in his shack
0: i love that scene
1: and they were supposed to have been gone for what? Twenty minutes? And it's been like an hour. Like an hour. And then yeah. Nalls comes back and <laughs> has cut him loose because he found it's it's pointed out earlier in the movie that it cannot take you over without shredding your clothes. Yeah. It has to puncture your body. And since we wear clothes, it punctures our clothes. And McReady's um McReady's has has, has there's torn clothing that has MacReady's name on it. So, Nalls cuts him loose. And for those that don't know what we're talking about, cutting loose, I guess it's worth mentioning. Um, in an Arctic situation like that, where you can have whiteout uh, situation, where you can't see, and especially at night when there's no oh, yeah. no moon or stars or anything to guide by, there's usually lines set up all over the camp that you clip to, and you just follow that line between the buildings and you can't get lost. And Nalls is saying, I cut him loose. He's saying he cut his line when they're out there. So he's left him to wander in the middle of a whiteout blizzard minus 40 degrees outside with no way of knowing where he is or how to get back. And pretty
0: much anyone less fucking stubborn than RJ McCready would have died. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But Kurt Russell just fucking refuses to let the thing wait at all costs. He's yes. so, like, he just, he almost like takes it personal
1: which is yes. really
0: cool because he never is is concerned about surviving really like it just it doesn't even really come across as a thing he's like he mentions it briefly at certain points where he kind of references them hey can we turn the generator back on yes but it's almost like an afterthought like certain. like he it's it's almost like you know he's realized the situation is so dire that all that matters is killing the thing their their survival is just kind of like it's, it's like a null point So, uh, the blood test scene is just pure tension because he has figured out that, like we talked about earlier in the the podcast, about how the the thing is multicellular, different from from the way a person is, because the person's blood and tissue is just that, it's just tissue, but every little cell within the thing wants to live. Every piece of the thing has survival instinct and wants to survive. So, he... Takes a blood sample from each of the characters, and torches a bit of wire with the with the flamethrower, uh, blue flame, and touches the exposed wire that's heated to the blood to see whose blood reacts and whose blood doesn't. And the whole scene, as far as just like them taking the blood tests only last about you know like probably like 2 minutes at the beginning before they actually have you know who's exposed as a thing. it's
1: a long tense 2 minutes it
0: feels like an eternity and i love that about it because it is just,
1: almost painful in the best way you are just on edge because this is it this is where we're finally going to learn who's who and what's what yeah and and and, uh, and until it happens
0: you don't even know that it's the legitimate like the characters at first kind of don't buy it and then once he touches the blood of Palmer with the, the exposed heated wire and it just freaks dude. out the editing. Once it freaks out in the Petri dish <laughs> is great.
1: When every, uh, They're all tied together on a couch basically. And uh, they're all tied together, including Palmer. And yep. as soon as his head starts splitting open, and he starts turning into this monster. Everyone's just like, oh, God. they're all tied the to it. Dude. <laughs> it's, it's so
0: good but the uh the editing almost like lulls you into a false sense of security because it's not the first t- blood test they do or the last one that ends up being the, the positive one it's you know about two-thirds of the way through when you're like is this even gonna work the characters start to comment on it oh you know this test is bullshit you know yeah and then the editing once the the, the blood reacts and it transforms into this almost like tentacle
1: of just like blood very bloodborne. So much bloodborne yes.
0: in the, the tentacles and shit. I love it.
1: Uh, and it hits so fast and so sudden, even our yeah. hero McReady reacts and jumps back and for some reason is holding the fucking Petri dish Yeah. As he's doing would, it. I, I would not be fucking <laughs> holding the Petri dish, dude. I would That's... be unspooling that wire and it would be like a tied to a pole. I would not be anywhere near this thing. And what's, what's funny is I think they, they make a point
0: of that because I'm pretty sure after they have the little encounter with the Palmer thing and, you know, eventually take it out, he starts to do the blood tests, I think, more remotely. Like, I think at yeah. that point for the last couple, I think he is testing them on the table instead of holding the fucking Petri dish.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's, yeah. it, it, it's a human moment, right? Our hero is fallible. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. It's the thing, especially the first time you watch it. You don't think about it. You you don't no. know what to expect, just same as he doesn't. But you know, when you've seen the movie a few times, you're just like, why are you? What are you doing? It? Yeah, and, and and yeah, and after they have the
0: encounter with the Palmer thing, and they do the the last couple of tests. I love how the very last person to be tested is Gary, and they're looking at him after they've completed the tests, and then Gary just is like. You know, I'm sure you're all. You know, you've been through a lot of everything, (laughs) but I would like to not spend the rest of winter tied to this fucking chair. And the the movie is as like dire as the situation is, and as like grim of a like a thematic story uh, that it is. uh, They do have moments of humor to kind of break up the tension. Like I like uh, the one scene where the spider head thing. Oh my god. Getters past them, you know, and they have that scene when they're all looking at it. That, oh, uh, what earlier the fuck! Up, it's like you, you know, you gotta be fucking kidding me. <laughs> and then they just torch it. It's like there's there's moments of humor in it that I think are really good well, because you know that 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 was
1: Norris thing, right?
0: Yes, that was the um, Norris thing. That that, that great uh, f- that when uh, Norris has gone into cardiac arrest and he's trying to uh, use the paddles to you know to shock him back to life. It, it is, he's he's you know doing the the. The CPR paddle things, uh, the defibrillator, and <laughs> it just fucking gaping dragons open and chomps on his hands. Oh god! That, takes his hands off. The movie that scene freaked me out, dude, because I didn't know it was ha- it was gonna happen. Was yeah, like, oh, it's so
1: god. sudden too. It's not a it's not telegraphed in any way. Yeah, and the uh, as they're burning it, the head starts the neck starts stretching and elongating, and the head like lowers down the side of the desk until it falls Mm -hmm. and then it it like its tongue shoots out like a venom tongue and wraps around a desk and pulls itself in and then the head fucking sprouts legs Jeff but in a very bloodborne way the head is like upside down and the eyes are not the eyes from the head they like come up out of the neck yeah and and they're like almost like antennae it's oh yes antennae (laughs) and (laughs) it's
0: fucking creepy
1: dude and it just starts skittering away and it has that it's it's moving so slow like you can tell it's moving in the intelligence right it's not just running mm-hmm. it's running it's moving slowly behind furniture and stuff and then it's going out the door and it's got that fucking sound effect when the legs touch the ground too but it's going out the door very slowly and then like you said it turns around and it's like oh you have to be f- Fucking kidding me! And they'll turn around like, "Whoa!" <laughs> like yep. And then they just fucking torch it. And that scream that the monster does every time that it is lit on fire. Oh man, so good. The sound. Oh, de- it's so good. Sound design's great. Especially, it's just like every.
0: Like, I'm one of the people that kind of contend there's no such thing as a perfect movie, but god damn, this movie is just it's about close. flawless. There's nothing you can really. And I and, and think that's just like crazy too is like, you know, like this movie wasn't well received initially, which is just mind numbing
1: to oh me. Oh like, my God.
0: What movie were you like? The fact that in, in, even if you look at it now, the thing uh, on like on like Rotten Tomatoes, like let's see like what the score is. It's not as high as as it should be, in my opinion, because it's just a, it's just a classic. And it's so like 85 percent, which is pretty good. But for a classic, like who the fuck watches the thing and gives it a thumbs down? I don't yeah, get that.
1: I don't get it either. It's got eight point one on IMDB.
0: You know, maybe you think it's a little bit overrated just because of how just because of how hyped it is and how beloved it is by some people. But to just disregard it outright with a like a, you know, like a rotten rating, that's crazy to me. I don't I don't get that at all.
1: Yeah, I don't get it. Um some of some of those quotes are somehow, by the way, one person criticized it as being boring. I don't do not understand how it would yeah. be boring. I've, um, I've, watched, I've
0: watched this movie so many times, and I I find it I, I enjoy it and like it even more with each each viewing. It's never boring, and, and especially the the first time you see it, there's there's so much predictability in the in the in like the script and everything. Like we we're talking about like with the the fucking the the cp the CPR scene, you know the tension of the the blood test scene. It's it's so tense. I don't get how you could be bored.
1: Oh god, I know. You're almost exhausted when it's over because it is so tense. Yep. But one of the quotes that I had here was from um a guy at Newsweek. I thought this was an excellent quote. I think it's wrong, but I thought it was an excellent quote. He felt that the film was uh that the film confused the use of effects with creating suspense and that it lacked drama by sacrificing everything at the altar of gore. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Altar of
0: Gore, if we ever, if we ever do a horror-only podcast, that's fucking great.
1: Write that down.
0: Write that down. Let's, that get, let's do an episode ad. zero on
1: that and get it on iTunes so no one can take it. I'm pretty sure that was a subsection of the Bloodborne DLC, the Altar of <laughs> the Gore. The Altar of Gore. <laughs> altar I was like, the, like you're totally wrong, Mr. Man at Newsweek, but that is a great quote. <laughs> fucking metal as fuck. Oh, man. So uh as
0: the movie progresses after the blood test uh, scene, you know, it just starts to basically become a a race against time because the uh, the thing has uh once the characters kind of have to start uh, you know splitting up to do various tasks around the compound, they realize that the the one of the people who have been turned has taken out the generator and they have limited time uh, before it gets even colder and is, you know, enough to just basically kill them as they freeze to death. Cuz it's fucking cold, you know, even with their generator going. It makes it livable of a condition, but without it they're they're pretty much doomed.
1: Yes, and it is pointed out that at this point the thing has basically given up on getting to the mainland. And it is just hoping to freeze again. Because when they found it, it had been frozen in the ice for 100,000 years. Not when the Norwegians found it. Sorry, to clarify. It had been frozen in the ice for 100,000 years. So it can survive being frozen. And it has come to terms with the fact that it's not going to get what it wants yet. So there's going to be a rescue team at some point yep. coming because they've lost contact with this station. And they haven't had contact in over a week. So now if it just bides its time, everybody will freeze to death. The rescue team will come carry back the bodies and the thing will again awaken, but now on the mainland. Yep. That is a hell of a hand to play. It. So, yeah, it,
0: it essentially is the checkmate uh, uh, against McCready at that the point. The
1: thing is about this creature, Jeff, it's not, it's, it, it's been showing intelligence, but that is a level of strategy <laughs> that, yeah, is terrifying. That's the thing that makes the predator so terrifying to me over a xenomorph, right? Is yeah. that level of intelligence. The fucking Wilfred Brimley was building a spaceship in his basement in his tool yep. shed basement. Uh, yeah.
0: Uh, one of the things that has to split so after they've had the blood test one of the things that's, that that they have to split up is they leave uh they leave uh, keith david uh his character child's behind as uh Knowles Gary and McCready uh, are going out to uh when they figure out that the generator has been you know destroyed they're going out to perform the blood test on wilfred Brimley's character and uh they figure out that you know he had the the kind of hole in the, the bottom of the the tool shed where he was ha- he had this like fucking underground tunnel. Yes. Lab like this labyrinth that leads over to where he was he was building the spaceship you're talking about.
1: Again showing you again showing you that time has elapsed in this movie.
0: And and what
1: Right. They didn't yeah. do that in a night.
0: And you realize that uh Wilfred Brimley was turned uh you know in the middle of a stay out in the tool shed because he did make the noose. well and, and and it makes sense with this character that you know he was going to kill himself because that's their only kind of way to combat the thing is they need to it's the only way out and like that his his acting in that scene uh with McCready when McCready has gone back out to the shed earlier on you know where He's just like I'm. I, you know, I know I was acting a little crazy, but I'm fine now. I just want to go inside. Like the way he delivers those lines is really yeah. chilling and great. He's so fucking good in this movie. Yeah, it's it's, it's just a, it, it really bums me out that I don't think anyone ever realized just how good of an actor he was. He he never got the respect as a character actor. I think he deserved.
1: Yeah. no. he's definitely missed. Yeah, he unfortunately, passed away in August just this year. He did. I want to say the first of August actually, yeah. but yeah, dude that that whole scene the way it's revealed that you know he is now blair thing that's when they decide to kind of like they're kind of being pushed into checkmate and they have decided to take their own action back against him and they just kind of go and start torching the whole compound Probably what the Norwegians did because the whole base was burned to the ground at the beginning of the movie when they went and checked mm-hmm. the Norwegian base. Which, which, yeah. So this is probably exactly the same conclusion the Norwegians yep. came to. If only they spe- uh, spoke English, everything would have been fine. Yep. Yeah, no, it, it's crazy. The the way, if you pay attention at the beginning of the movie, they basically tell you everything that's going to happen from the Norwegian base.
0: I love the effect too when they do go to the, the Norwegian base and you see the guy who is, when, it, when he is... Slit his own wrists and the, the
1: blood trickling down him is frozen. Fuck that! Into like a blood sickle oh, down to the th- ground. He's holding he's holding the straight razor and from his wrists and his neck is just these blood sickles that go from the wounds to the ground because it's so cold his blood has frozen.
0: So I fucking love this movie so much. Oh, it's I so could good. talk about this movie for like six <laughs> hours and just still find you talk about. So they start to torch the facility and eventually uh, it leads to McCready Knowles, and Gary as the kind of the last three because they know child's is kind of m i a uh when they were near the generator, you know they they see child's uh kind of just a walk off to something off screen they don't know why he's left you know the the base where he was stationed inside uh they specifically told him to kind of stay he leaves the compound walks off screen, so for now it's just these three characters they go down to 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 start continuing. Uh, with the the setting up the, the the dynamite as they're trying to just take out every little thing, to so that they they don't really talk about it. But like the uh the the characters they they seem to have kind of come to an agreement. You know, uh they talk about it vaguely, but it's just like, let's well, just you know it's everything uh you know on fire. We're kind of fucked. They they at this point they they kind of even stop bringing up the you know like how are we gonna survive this? You know they've all kind of come to the
1: yes. Actually if you if you pay real close attention, they haven't talked about that in a long time. They haven't no one has mentioned yeah. survival in a while at this point,
0: which I I love that about all the characters because like usually movies would have some type of subplot going on like artificially creating like pathos for the characters to try to make you care more, but doing the opposite makes me care about the characters more because you you respect them a lot. You know, this movie really respects all of its characters.
1: Yeah it uh what what's interesting the first time you watch it is mcready has a line about how none of us are making it out of here is basically what he says if not exactly what he says i can't remember the quote and nobody reacts to that that's kind of look amongst each other and then just go back to listening to mcready and you know, your normal reaction on first viewing is like, "Wow, okay, they just kind of bought into that." But if you actually, like I said, are paying attention to the movie, no one has mentioned survivability yep. in a while. Like this is kind of the same conclusion everybody has come to, but McReady is just saying yeah. it out loud, which is so good because, like, I'm so
0: like like you said, like I'm so glad that the the protagonists and supporting characters of the story are you know from the scientific institute. Uh, You know, they're they're very pragmatic yes. about it. They they're very selfless about it which is cool like i love that they're all selfless about it they're they're not thinking about themselves they're just thinking about how the fuck do we stop us from getting to the mainland and uh they're down in like this kind of like almost like a catacomb of like a layout where they they've gone down to take out the rest of the machinery <laughs> they like they have the funny line where uh is it like a is it like a backup generator they've gone to because uh they they figure out that the maybe it's like a separate specific generator that runs the heat, but they're they're at like a different generator where Gary's like, uh, oh the generator's gone, and and McCready's like, is can we fix it? He's like, no, McCready, it's gone, like it's literally gone. It's gone. <laughs> uh, so uh, Nulls, Gary, and McCready are down uh near that area, and they they uh, are triggering uh. The the kind of final setup they have of The Last of the Dynamite to finish off the rest of the explosives. And uh Knolls goes to check on, you know, Gary, who has uh in the previous scene, fucking Blair comes out of nowhere, uh Wilfred Brimley's character. And, and one of the coolest effects of the movie to me is where he just grabs his face and his face instantly starts uh to meld with his fingers, and it's like he's like sliding it he's he's basically like using his face almost like a glove it's so creepy you can't you can't explain yes. it and he just
1: drags him away and yeah and he just
0: dra- casually drags him away off screen and all you see is like it's like a foot shot where you just see like him like the yes. lower half of him walk
1: it's like from the knees down and you see the body being dragged yeah can you imagine being dragged by anything let alone being dragged by it's your so face fucking Jeff?
0: good like oh it's so good. And then so Nulls has gone off to, to, to try and see like what the fuck happened with Gary. And McCready calls out one time, you know, like, hey, what's up? Here's nothing. Instantly has lit dynamite. Like McCready is taking no fucking yeah. risk, <laughs> No fucking risks at all. You know, the, the, he, you know, he just he's just not going to chance anything. He He just refuses. It, it's almost like I was saying earlier. It's like it's almost it almost becomes personal just because he's. So fucking stubborn. Yeah. And then in one of the greatest lines of the movie, <laughs> uh, the the thing has this really fucking this is really fucking cool effect where it's like almost like a like a fucking graboid. It's like trembling beneath the the, the snow yes. towards him, and he just backs out of the way after it's popped up. Uh, and it's uh, it's like a it's like a combination of like a like the dog skull almost kind of like melted. Yeah, it's a little
1: bit of everything. Yeah. It's like a little
0: bit of everything. And then
1: almost like. A fucking cuckoo clock from hell. One of the dog bodies like comes out of its body at Macready, yeah. and, and it's, it's just like, like, what is happening?
0: And it's it's like it's almost like it's like an amalgamation of all the different. Uh, it's the one
1: reborn. Is yeah, what it is. Yeah, if because, because bloodborne one reborn. You
0: got it. Yep. Because uh, the thing that the the thing that sprouts the dog head is the um. It, it almost resembles the uh venus flytrap, uh yes prosthetic they had so uh and then the only like, i would say like the like the greatest
1: lines ever is
0: yeah fuck you too and he just throws the fucking dynamite stick at it just blows yeah the it quote
1: on imdb is thing roars and screams mccready yeah well fuck, fuck you too you.
0: <laughs> it, oh,
1: i love you kurt russell
0: i fucking love you so much Oh, it's so good. So Kurt Russell leaves that scene, walks back up as as they have this kind of like wide shot of the compound, just like this massive fucking explosion, as all the dynamites now been triggered. And uh, McCready's just kind of like walking around the camp as it's just in, in flames. He kind of he goes, uh, you know, takes a seat, uh, has his whiskey with him, and then Childs, who disappeared earlier, walks up to him
1: and. I've got the quote if you want. Yeah, Lido. yeah, go ahead. Child says Fire's got the temperature up all over the camp. Well last long they had this discussion first about where Childs was. And he said that he thought he saw Blair and went after him, got lost in the storm. And then the last lines in the movie before credits is Fire's got the temperature up all over the camp, but won't last long. McReady says, Neither will we. Child says, Well, how will we make it? And McGreedy says, maybe we shouldn't. And Child says, if you're worried about me, and McReady interrupts him and says, if we've got any surprises for each other, I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it. And Child says, well, what do we do? And McReady says, well, why don't we just wait here a little while and see what happens? And then passes him the whiskey. Yep. And then you just leaves you on this shot of them drinking whiskey as we go to credits. I fucking love this ending so much. Because
0: I almost feel if any other director had taken this project besides John Carpenter himself or like a Ridley Scott, there either would have been studio interference or the director himself would have been like, we have to have like a more concrete, I mean, we can't have this much ambiguity. Because like ambiguity is kind of like, it's it's been kind of like the thing in Hollywood over the last <laughs> like 15 years or so. A lot of movies and almost like an attempt to like artificially elevate how like artsy farty you want to say like the movie is they have ambi- like they generate ambiguous endings just for like the sake of having them right but the ambiguity of the ending i think just perfectly suits like the themes in play
1: and Well, just- i think one reason why um they him get away with it too is a this is universal they're the monster movie people yeah right i mean you hear about universal monsters a lot right mm. so they're the monster movie people And if I'm not mistaken, see, this is 1982, so John Carpenter should be flying high off of the successful Halloween. So he's kind of the biggest name at this point for horror, right? Yeah, Halloween was huge. So at this point, I'm pretty sure that they're just kind of like, you know, yes, Mr. Carpenter, here's your check. Yep, kind of car launch, do whatever. Yes, um, he's already kind of proven himself, and they are the monster movie people. So I think Universal is a little bit more open to that kind of thing. Anyway, I don't think Fox or something like that this would have ever have flown.
0: Or like a, like a Paramount, like or like no, Paramount, this yeah.
1: definitely would not have
0: flown. Yeah. So one very popular theory is that the movie has there's still ambiguity within what happens next. But as far as I like the ambiguity of not knowing. If one or both of them have turned, but there's a very popular point that people have made online in that you see McCready's breath very visibly, but the breath that comes from uh Keith David's character Child's is more subdued, and they have a couple of brief glimpses of it where they just couldn't avoid it, but they made it like an active effort to have child's be shown as uh as the thing because of the breath and john Carpenter himself has confirmed this they they went out of their way to do this i actually don't think they should have i i would pre- yeah. i would prefer them just have complete ambiguity on who's the thing and who's not
1: why is why does the thing either a not breathe or b not warm <laughs>
0: like- it's also it's also not consistent because they have the yeah since earlier on in the movie where one of the people have been turned and it you see its breath you see the dog's breath, so, yeah. and it also is contradicting the script because uh, they talk about like uh, Blair talks about how it makes a perfect imitation. A perfect imitation that doesn't fucking breathe is not a perfect right. imitation. Right. So the way I look at it, I I think it's an interesting theory. I personally don't think that's what the script was going for because of everything else. As far as the context of the ending, I think the script probably called for more ambiguity and didn't include the thing with the breath. That feels to me like a carpenter add-in, which I like yeah. literally the only thing I don't like about the movie is the fact of the breath. But I like that they they so like my kind of like headcanon for the movie is the breath doesn't matter. I, right. I I like the the ending to me is the one that's on the page, and I really feel I haven't read the script, but I feel like that was, like, a kind of tacked-on thing. And in my from my personal view of the ending, I don't believe he's the thing. And it's just completely ambiguous. And I, I like that as a whole better for the ending, personally.
1: Yeah, I agree. I like it being ambiguous. I like the idea of that kind of Easter egg thing, just because, you know, yeah. that's what you and I are kind of into. But... You know, like you said, it doesn't really it doesn't really work um, with the rest of the uh, the rest of the versions of the monster that you see. Yeah, it's it's internally um, inconsistent. Yeah, so you know, I I don't know. That's a that's almost too subtle to be an Easter egg. It would almost seem I, to me more like an accident.
0: I I also never fucking noticed it until it was pointed out to me. I I had watched the movie like five times before I heard about that theory, and I never fucking noticed it. And unfortunately, like I, like I mentioned, you don't, uh, they have a couple of instances where you, you can make out uh, Keith David's breath, which makes me happy because it feeds my headcanon. It didn't fucking, you know, it was, it was never a thing they tried to do because they did like John carpenter talked about it. They did try to do this. Like it was intentional on their part, but I don't think that they should have done it.
1: Yeah. I don't think they should have either. Yeah. Um, But you know, John Carpenter's movie, we have our head cannon. Yep, but yep, you know it. it it's it doesn't really. I guess unless it's called out to you, it doesn't really take anything away. No, yeah, not, so not at all. Subtle. It's it's interesting. It's, it's so interesting, so interesting to talk about. It, it. it is an interesting tidbit, though. Um, I just realized. Yeah, it's cool.
0: It's I like it in theory. I just don't like it as far as right the internal consistency of the ending and the movie itself. As far well, as well, the ending being true.
1: completely ambiguous is so much better yeah it's just which which it doesn't
0: even even if the breath thing had been perfectly done and and and, you know completely intentional by all people involved you know like including the script and everything it it doesn't defeat the ambiguity of the ending because the true ambiguity of the ending is what happens next it has nothing to do with you know which one of them or both of them is the thing it's that you don't know what happens you know you don't know the ending the full ending of the story and that's the that's the cool part that no matter what you believe about the breathing you know no matter what, there's still ambiguity involved. But yeah, I love I the ending. It's one of my favorite endings. At the very first viewing I had of it, I was like, wait, I want more. I want, you know, like, I want to know what happened. But like, the more you watch right. it, I think the more the ending grows on you and you realize how perfect it is for this story.
1: I remember being completely stunned the first time I saw it when it just goes to credits.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite experiences has been introducing this movie to you because I don't think you had ever seen it until I showed it to you. And then just
1: no, like I had seen it, but not in a very, very oh, okay. long time. Not in a very long time. Yeah. Uh, um, I was like... familiar with it. My dad somehow was not a fan of it. Um, so it wasn't one I got to see very often when it was on. Uh-huh. But I had I had seen it. I had seen it like maybe once or twice a long time ago. Okay. But uh I, I realized in my notes I have a, a quote that I that I glossed over that I had written down. Oh, sure. Um McCready sums up twenty twenty perfectly in the tape recorder scene when he said, Nobody trusts anybody, everyone's tired, and then stops the recording. <laughs> so fucking accurate, dude. I literally paused the movie and wrote that down <laughs> when yeah. he did it. That's great. <laughs> twenty twenty. McCready's take on twenty twenty. Nobody yeah. trusts anybody. Everybody's tired. Uh, that's all the money <laughs> podcast is over that's that's it hey if i got news for you jeff mm-hmm. did you know that sometime this year in 2020 they announced a remake of this movie no that's a thing we have to look forward to please let it go into development hell and never see the light of day
0: right? like the, pre- the prequel alone was already such a fucking clusterfuck like I love the tactility of this movie as far as the practical effects and then making every fucking monster CGI and it looked like a Silent Hill directed DVD sequel instead of a Thing movie pissed me off to my very core, dude. I was so mad. I watched the movie
1: one fucking time that prequel and I'll probably Var- never watch it again. Variety has an article dated August 24th, 2020. The Thing reboot in early development with Blumhouse and John Carpenter.
0: Even when Carpenter evolved, I don't want it.
1: Blumhouse Productions and filmmaker John Carpenter are developing a remoot, a remoot, a remoot of the 1982 horror classic John Carpenter's *The Thing*. Project <laughs> still in early stages. No, the details have been hammered out. Don't do it. <laughs> I'll cry. I'll have apparently to see it. Apparently, it was at apparently was at a thing for Halloween Kills. Um, mm-hmm. that he talked about it. Um, it was. Let's see. Da-da, oh it's uh never mind this is now moving on from that part, but yes, uh that is basically from John carpenter himself balls <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would like that, yeah, oh man, um, do we want to talk a little bit? about casting because I found some interesting stuff on the Wikipedia page. For for sure, for sure. About casting and I want to hear your reaction to some of these names. Um, Go on. So Kurt Russell was the last actor to be cast. Interesting. I did not know this. He had worked with John Carpenter on developing the ideas for the movie. John Mm -hmm. Carpenter would talk to him about it but was not actually planning on casting him. So some of this is not from McCready. Um, this is just some of the actors. Uh, they were the studio was talking about involving. Okay, Christopher Walken. This this fucking
0: thing. (laughs) It's it's just. It was a fucking dog. I I, thought you would love that. These guys.
1: Yeah. Jeff Bridges. Okay. Okay. Which I guess what is a thing.
0: Okay. (laughs)
1: Right. The dude thing.
0: Yeah. Um, this fucking dog thing. It really ties the room together.
1: Now, one, another interesting choice. I could see him playing Nick uh, McCready is Nick Nolte. Yeah, I can see it. That was someone I talked to. And they were either unavailable or declined. And then Sam Shepard showed interest but was never pursued. Mm. Yeah, he um, would have
0: been good. He would have been a good.
1: These two names I don't recognize offhand. Um, I'm sure I would know them if I looked them up, but Tom Atkins and Jack Thompson were uh, very strong contenders for the role of McReady.
0: Tom Atkins, I know, I know him from from something.
1: Yeah, I know, I know that name. Um, was he okay? I remember. Yeah, he was. He had
0: been in the Fog. Um, uh, the John Carpenter uh, 1980 version.
1: Mm -hmm. And then, um. Jack Thompson, I'm looking up right now. I know his face. Yeah. Um I think he's in episode two. Um let's see. What are his what
0: are his more like uh
1: notable roles? Halloween three. Okay, it's so another John Carpenter, right? Or was Three Carpenter? No. I don't believe so. I don't believe I think it was. that was, was when they started
0: to mix it up. But yeah, he has he had some either supporting role or like a like the major character in some eighties um film. It could have even been uh he was in and creep show, yeah. I, mean, I know what you're talking about, yeah, he, he would have been a good um, one of the as far as like one just one of the members of the institute,
1: yeah. They were in uh talks to be McCready, Tom oh, okay. Atkins and, and Jack Thompson, okay. Um, other people, I thought this was an interesting list. Um, huh, I didn't realize that this bullet point mentions Tom Atkins again, but um, Brian Denahi. This is not McCready, This is just, again, general casting. Brian okay. Dennehy, Chris Christopherson, John Hurd, Ed Harris, Tom Damn. Barringer, Scott Glenn, Fred oh, he Ward. Been, he would have <laughs> been so good as one of the characters in this. You mentioned like, Tremors. Fred Ward. Nice. Uh, Peter, uh, is it Coyote? Coyote? And, I don't know, Tim McIntyre.
0: Damn, there are a lot of people fucking talked about for those
1: could you imagine Scott Glenn or Fred Ward or Tom Berenger or Ed Harris version of the thing
0: it's it's like Kurt Russell will always be McCready in my heart
1: but I would like to see all of those movies right because um. they,
0: they're like man like they 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 really understood the, the characters in this movie when you just like you when you hear that list and almost all of them you're just like yes like they, they really they just got it
1: so For the role of Childs, Jeffrey Holder, Carl Weathers, Bernie Casey, Isaac Hayes, (laughs) and the front runner was Ernie Hudson. And he was almost cast. He was almost completely under contract until they met with Keith David. (laughs) And then they, they changed. I thought that was fucking fascinating we could have had it. ernie hudson and fred ward <laughs> the thing <laughs> or uh carl weathers and the dude
0: like I'm, I'm just thinking of fucking if christopher walken had been mccready to see him in that fucking hat
1: oh yeah fuck God. you too keith david and christopher walken at the end of the movie that's a that oh whole scene God. is different that whole scene is different Keith David's playing it exactly the same way he played it. <laughs> but oh, well, wow. I guess we wait and we see what happens. Let's
0: see what happens. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> I oh, I had so to work that into the episode because I thought that was fucking fascinating. Yeah.
0: Christopher Walken um, should they should just be like a law for mankind. Should just be in every movie. Even if even if it's just for a single
1: scene, everything needs more walking, dude. Everything needs more walking. Um, Even if you it's have any- just a flashback cutaway to how long he held a watch in his ass.
0: Yep. Yep. So are there any other tidbits
1: that you wanted to include as we wrap it up? Just one that ties into my pick for our next episode. Ooh. Segways. Segway, segway. It uh, turns out that Universal and John Carpenter and everyone involved could not figure out how to do this movie and it was placed on hold. They'd been talking about doing this movie since 1976 and in 1979 there was a very successful Ridley Scott movie that came out. I wonder which one that was. That reignited interest. (laughs) Reignited interest in the thing and Universal set to work and this movie came out in 1982. That 1979 Ridley Scott film is my pick for next time and that is Alien. Bob. So yes, I'm very excited to uh revisit Alien. I revisit that movie annually.
0: Yeah. Like we we talked about it's like we we actually when we did our uh, one of our former uh, podcasts, uh we at one point ranked our our top 5 favorite horror movies and my number one was the thing, but my second favorite horror movie ever was is Alien. I fucking love the. Yeah,
1: movie. and when we did that in that same episode where we did the rankings, I think I had those two reversed. I think I had the thing as number two. Yeah, and Alien as number one. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I showed my I showed one of my friends Alien one time. He had never seen it. He fell asleep, and I've never spoken to him again. Good <laughs> fuck that guy. <laughs> Yeah, fuck, fuck that you guy. Too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That's not true, but I thought it would be fun. Um, I was very disappointed, but I finished the movie. I'm Good. just saying he he slept and I did not wake him up. I just finished the movie. Yeah. I mean,
0: you gotta watch it's fucking Alien, dude. Yeah, it's fucking Alien. It's fucking clock. Um,
1: one thing that's gonna be weird for me. I am. I'm probably just gonna go ahead and do it. I usually watch Alien and Aliens back to back. I'm probably just gonna watch both. Yeah. And report on the one, but. Alien, directed by Ridley Scott, came out in 1979. If I'm not mistaken, Tom Skerritt is basically the name everyone expected to be on the poster. That was the one that put asses in the seats, right? Yes. So it stars Tom Skerritt. And everyone else was pretty much unknown at the time. But Sigourney Weaver, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm. (laughs) Like, what? Yeah. Oh, my God. It, it,
0: and like as a retrospective thing it's like one of the best supporting cast ever for you know a, like a sci-fi oh movie God. period little like you know like a like a horror entry
1: like alien is but yeah at the time it was not viewed that way cuz you know and also at the time like your typical alien type movie extraterrestrial movie was basically just ET right <laughs> so Uh, that my my dad always told me he he remembered going to watch Alien in theaters because shit like ET was the only real kind of sci fi alien stuff there was, and it was absolutely terrifying.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, so yeah, uh, as we talked about at the very beginning, uh, we check in with this podcast every other week to give you know people time to kind of seek out the movie. Uh, if they want to, you know, like watch it in the in the meantime while we're, you know, prepping in the two weeks before the next episode, uh, I'm just gonna really quickly check, just watch, so I can kind of point people if it, if it happens to be in, you know, like a pretty popular streaming service. Let's see. I want to say they're on HBO Max. It is. So it is available on HBO Max, um, for streaming. If you want to check it out, um, I actually recommend just getting HBO Max just in general because. It's one of the few streaming services that I actually think is pretty worth it because they have a pretty, you know, like regular influx of new movies they throw on there and the getting the full catalog of HP If shows. you
1: have AT&T TV now, it's $5 a month. Oh yeah, that's 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 a great
0: deal especially like and a lot in I there. And I want
1: to say that they you can sign up for like a month free anyway usually on stuff like that. Yeah,
0: it, or yeah, it, it, if not a month at least like a week or two. Like they almost all have some type of free trial. But yeah, yeah, yeah check it out for sure. It's uh it's going to be exciting to talk about. Um, if you would like to check us out uh, to get updates and little tidbits on Twitter, uh, we can follow us on, at SPR Filmcast.
1: <laughs>
0: Couldn't do screenplay rewind because
1: uh, <laughs> 16 characters is out of 15. So, yeah, fuck you too, Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that's never not going to make me laugh. I want you to know Fucking that. L- I'm going to think of that text message you sent me. You were, you were <laughs> so angry <laughs> in that text message.
0: yeah. Cause I had fucking, I had tested it, dude. When I was going around setting up the fucking email, I was like, I went to Twitter and I put in Screenplay Rewind. It said, not found. So I was like, sweet, it's not taken. And I tried to set it up and it was like, nope. And now we know why. God <laughs> damn it. Yeah, that's that's my 2020 in a nutshell. At Screenplay Rewind, not being a thing. Yeah, SPR Filmcast, check it out. Also,
1: I did want to point out, if you're already listening to us somewhere, in case it's not your place, uh, your your regular choice for podcasts, I did want to call attention to uh, anchor.fm. that's well, like a ship's anchor. Anchor.fm forward slash screenplay hyphen rewind. We are available in eight places now, Jeff. Oh, shit. That's eight too many. <laughs> but yeah, we're on... Um, we're on Apple we're on Google We are on Spotify anchor is owned by Spotify, so that makes sense uh breaker uh overcast pocket cast radio public so tender grinder everything <laughs> <laughs> all of the things so you know leave a uh leave us ratings leave us uh text reviews if you like the show, tell us what you liked about the show if you don't like the show, tell us what you didn't like and uh maybe it'll change maybe we'll say fuck you who knows yeah fuck you too. Uh, fuck you <laughs> yeah, well, <we're, laughs> fuck you too we are we are very open to
0: uh changed construct- reviews screeches well fuck you too. <laughs> <laughs> we are very, we are very open to constructive criticism
1: and I just realized we are about and to- what you did with my mother last night is not constructive criticism <laughs> I just want to put that out there. And I
0: just realized we are almost hitting the full runtime of the thing. So we literally could have just done a fucking commentary.
1: Pretty much. (laughs) Uh, The last thing that I just had to say is, do you know what studies are showing the number one way podcasts grow their audiences, Jeff? Go on. Word of mouth. So if you did enjoy the show, please inflict it on others. Yeah. (laughs)
0: We're gonna spread this bitch please. like the
1: fucking thing parasite itself. Let's go. <laughs> yes, exactly. The only way we can be stopped is the dynamite and flamethrowers. Okay. So, um, yes, please uh, tell friends. You know, tell grandma. I think this is a great show that grandma would love. It's like, hey, hey, grandma, you like bad Christopher Walken impressions, right? <laughs> this podcast is the one for you. So, yeah, that is the uh, easily the best way you could help us out. Yep. Yeah, we appreciate you know, just retweet it. it. There's gonna be tweets about when episodes go live just retweeting it is one of the easiest ways you can help us yes. out yeah, we, and it is greatly appreciated
0: we greatly appreciated and uh you, you know even uh even if you're just you know listening we appreciate you listening
1: exactly yes all are welcome yep
0: indeed uh so check back in a couple weeks from now for our review and deep dive into Ridley Scott's Alien
1: and we will see you then thanks for listening I am ready, but one I didn't do last time, I'm going to do this time. Because learning is I'm going to cut the recording and then start a new recording. So you had to like come back through and figure out where the actual podcast started. I was like, god damn it. It took me it was like 18 and a half minutes of green room before I found the episode. <laughs> I'm <am> confident. <laughs> We have never lost a recording. Never. <laughs> We've never had to redo anything before. No, yeah,
0: that's <laughs> fucking crazy talk. <laughs> you got all your notes and everything ready? Yep. <clears throat> Let am going to get a little bit more water just so I don't <laughs> run out of the bloodcast right back. Fuck you, Rod. <laughs>
1: now we are recording what the fuck i said i was just start a new recording real quick and then i was just i thought you said we were good i was yeah and i was waiting for you to confirm so i could start recording oh my god
0: <laughs> can i quit this podcast before <laughs> i even get started is that a thing i can do my my writer clearly stated no fucking blue balls in the green room okay
1: Oh we have fun here. <laughs> <laughs> but we are recording. But for real, start the fucking podcast. But for real. God damn it, Jeff.
0: Pretty please sugar right on top. Clean the fucking car. <laughs> <laughs> Correct, yeah. I'm sorry, I you I lost okay? my voice. <laughs> I'm coughing
1: up water. (laughs) Is there also a spider? The thing has got me. The thing.
0: Go on without
1: me. Oh, oh God! I gotta test my blood real quick. I'll be right back. (laughs) Okay. My
0: apologies.
1: (laughs) I can't fucking talk. Welcome to
0: screenplay rewind. <laughs> everything scrapped. <laughs> yeah, please, please cut, please cut out that section. You can you can include it as bloopers, but please, for love of God, cut out that section. Nope, we do
1: everything in one take here. Fuck. <laughs> okay, we do it live. Fuck it.